This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey there, I'm Kyrie Douglas. I'm a producer here at Overheard, and this is the second episode of our four-part series focusing on music, exploration, and black history. It's called The Soul of Music, and National Geographic Explorers will be sitting down with some of our favorite musicians to discuss how history and the natural world inspires their art and adventures. Today's guest is Sampa Timbo, better known by her stage name, Sampa the Great. Sampa is a Zambian-born musician, and she's blown up over the last few years. Her song, Never Forget, which you'll hear soon, was used in the trailer for the Marvel movie Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Pop culture-wise, it doesn't get much bigger than that. Sampa's music is inspired by hip-hop, rock, and the traditional Zambian music of her homeland. Her most recent album is called As Above, So Below. On that record, Sampa gets personal, divulging her struggles, her successes, and her self-love. For me, you know, as above, so below, as within, so without has a lot of meanings. It just means that your your outer world is a reflection of what's going on within you. Sampa says she didn't always feel like she could show off her inner personality, in part because she spent a lot of time living outside of Zambia. She was raised primarily in Botswana, and in 2013, she moved to Australia to study audio engineering. Especially in Australia, I felt like I had to put on an ambassadorial role because of where I stood in my community. And I had to make sure, you know, whatever I sang, whatever I put out represented my community well, because we were sort of the only examples of Black music and Black culture in Australia. We didn't allow ourselves to be humans. And For me in particular, a lot of scars came from it, but I know a huge part of it was perfectionism because any mistake I made, that was an African community mistake and it wasn't a Sampa mistake, you know? And that's just a huge weight to bear. And I just didn't allow myself to be the whole range of Sampa. The goofy Sampa, the funny Sampa, the Sampa that loves to love, the Sampa that loves love. During the pandemic, Sampa moved back to Zambia. And she says she was able to shed the armor she had built up and be more genuinely herself. And I actually got to show that through this project. I got to show a full range of who I am, all the mistakes, uh, you know, all the laughs, all the tears, everything, all the goofiness. Like I actually got to finally show full, fully who I am as Sampa Temple. And I feel like that was my as above, so below moment. I didn't have to wear any mask. My outer world finally represented what I was going through in my inner world, and it felt like the perfect phrase. This is Overheard, a show where we eavesdrop on the wild conversations we have here at Nat Geo and follow them to the edges of our big, weird, beautiful world. This week, as part of Overheard's The Soul of Music series, Sampa the Great sits down with National Geographic explorer and wildlife biologist Danielle Lee. Danielle has studied the behavior of giant African pouch rats, which are used to sniff the landmines all around the world. And she's passionate about science outreach. 
We featured Danielle in an episode of Overheard last year. My whole thing is I like to take pop culture references and then help people understand that they that they already have a really good comprehension and foundation in science already. Like, you already know a lot of science. You already know a lot of behavior. You already know a lot of this. And I, and I use their vernacular and, and cultural lexicon that is already familiar, and then I relate it to these scientific terminologies. Sampa and Danielle discuss inspiration through history, the power of language, and mental health therapy through nature. More after the break. But first, fuel your curiosity with a free one-month trial subscription to Nat Geo Digital. You'll have unlimited access on any device, anywhere, ad-free with our app that lets you download stories to read offline. Explore every page ever published with a century of digital archives at your fingertips. Check it all out for free at natgeo.com slash explore more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. How you doing? How's it going? Hey, Danielle, how are you? I'm doing great. (laughs) So for the audience, could you tell us your name and what you do? Hello, everyone. I'm Sampa Tembo, also known as Sampa the Great, and I'm an artist from Zambia. Now, let folks know exactly where Zambia is. Okay. Zambia is in Southern Africa. So you have South Africa at the lowest point of the continent. You have Botswana right on top of that. And then you have Zambia on top of Botswana. And you grew up in both Zambia and Botswana, right? Yes, that's correct. I grew up between Botswana and Zambia. So born in Zambia and at the age of one, one and a half, my parents moved to Botswana. My dad got a job in Haboroni, the capital city. And we were sort of raised between the two countries. So our Christmases or special occasions or any like family, huge family event was spent in Zambia. And, you know, our upbringing, our school, primary and high school and everything else in between was spent in Botswana. So what was Botswana like as a school child spending time there? It was quite an adventure. It had both pros and cons. Uh, The pros were, you know, you got to experience life outside of Zambia and you got to bring all those stories back to your cousins and they'd be like, wow, that's crazy. But also (laughs) you were not raised around family. So all your extended families in Zambia and you sort of feel left out, you know, in an experience that everybody else is having. And, you know, it, it was a huge sort of identity thing for me when I was younger. And it still is in a sense today where 
you knew that you were being raised in a country outside of the country where you're from, so you didn't quite fit in. And then also when you went to the country where you're from, people were kind of like, ah, yeah, but mm, <laughs> you're being raised outside of your home. So you're not quite fully, you know, like us. So there's always that thing where, you know, you were neither either of the options, but you were also a middle ground for both. That's interesting. So I spend a lot of time in Tanzania, which is a bit more northern than Zambia. Um, and I had that experience as a as an Afro-American, because mm. that's usually the terminology that was used on the continent. Yeah. Uh, visiting, you know, the continent. And um, I was often called 0. 0.5, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was that? What was so, like, that? this idea of being half there, like, mm. I was half, like, like I, they, you know, I was African, you know, historically inherited yeah. and yeah. wanting to connect. But I wasn't there. And so I was always back and forth. There was there was still this overwhelming Americanness to me, which was you can see it, like how I walk differently, how I wore my hair. And you're right, that kind of being in between, it does still it hit you. Out. Yeah, yes, it does, it does. Make you stand out. I mean, yeah. I guess for me, I tried to heal that by obviously it's not at the same level as your experience i i just tried to heal it by you know being in zambia more learning more about my language learning more about even just the inflections in the way we speak bemba you know my um my mulishani is different than a zambia who was raised in and you can tell the influence of english you can tell the colonization in my language so i really tried and i think it's still passing on through adulthood to reconnect with, you know, all these different aspects of being Zambian and trying to fill that hole is obviously not at the same level, but I do love when my friends of the diaspora do come to the continent and just get themselves involved in language and culture and just seeing, you know, what it would have been like had we been raised in our ancestral homes. Yes, absolutely. So there's a song of yours that I want to share a clip from. It's the uh, Never Forget. Who took fabric, made that classic, that ain't average, we did. Who did music, made that language, African branded, we did. Who took movement, spirit included, made it a movement, we did. Who's the origin straight from the soil and then redistributed? So can you break this song down for me? Wow. I think this is an epitome of, of me and my friends just creating music that we love and are inspired by and didn't know what it was going to do. Ah, so wild. So just jamming out, huh? Or just jamming out and whoops, we just created something amazing. <laughs> Future 
on this song with you, isn't she? Yes, she is. My sister actually co-wrote the chorus. So that that was pretty huge. And when I started creating the album, we sort of booked out the studio for a whole month and all the people involved in, in the album were all just hanging out together, literally forced to be with each other within a span of two weeks and just talk about where we are, um, reconnecting back in Zambia and working on music together. and. A huge genre that stood out to me while I was in Zambia was Zamrock. Yeah. And just how huge the influence of that music was and just the knowledge that, you know, some people in Zambia don't know how global Zamrock music went. And it's just, it sort of mirrored my experience in, in being a Zambian artist whose career took off in a continent and country away from her own. And, you know, more people outside of her country know about her. and. I, I sort of took that as a, well, this may be something that is interesting to explore and just did a deep dive into Zamrock and decided to create this song that was supposed to be us paying homage to all the Zamrock legends who came before us and just sort of, yeah, just sort of saying yeah. a thank you and, you know, taking that inspiration and paying it forward. Okay, that sounds so. We're gonna come back and talk a little bit more about Zamrock, but I yeah. did have a question about. So the second verse of this song, yeah, uh, uh, is it Chef or Chief? Chef, Chef, it's Chef, yeah, Chef One Eighty Seven. Yeah. So he's speaking in. Is it pronounced Bemba? So Chef is rapping in Bemba, and Teal is singing the um the hook in Nyanja. So okay. you have Nyanja, Bemba, and English just all rolled just up into all one in beautiful, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, Bemba and Nyanja, are those uh, mother tongues in Zambia? Yes, the, one of the 62 languages and, and dialects in Zambia. So, I mean, if you get one, at least you have something. <laughs> uh, so Bemba, my mom is Bemba, so uh, Chef speaks my mom's um mother tongue and then my dad is from a tribe called Tumbuka and Tio's my cousin and he's speaking in Nyanja All right. so and he's my cousin from my dad's side so we're kind of bringing both of those energies together I love uh, it subconsciously but it was also just really beautiful again language to be involved in music more prominently now in this project than in my other projects just as a way of reconnecting and again reclaiming that um you know part of me that was lost growing up somewhere outside of my own country. So it was really important to have language be uh, a huge part of it. And also just to have rap being done in a different language and just showing the huge influence that hip hop has had on the continent and just showing how we appreciate it in our own style and our own art form. So to, to have it being wrapped in Bembo was really cool. That is really cool. So I use a little hip hop in the work that I do in science yeah. communication. I don't, I don't flow though. Let me be honest. Let me just, <laughs> I, I don't something sip, I don't something flow. Seep though. Something, <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> some, some influenced a little bit. I know this buzz, but, but okay. Yes, but like, but I love like how vocabulary and I love the mm. artistry of it. And I've been able to use it to explain concepts to not just my students in science, but like to general audiences. And 
using that to explain concepts. And I've used not just American hip hop, but I've also used some continental uh, hip hop. So out of Nigeria, you know, like, because yeah. my, my jam is chop that, chop my money. Uh, hey! <laughs> Classics. It's a <laughs> yes, <laughs> but like using that to explain like animal yeah. behavior, and mm. I love how hip hop, which is an is a you know Afro American derived art form, but like we acknowledge here in the states that that's part of our call and response culture that we were able to yes. hold on to. So like we recognize that it's continental too. Yeah, and it was you know it was a it was a memory that we didn't even know yeah. we had. You know, Man. we were able to hold on to it. <laughs> right. I think music out of all of it is the one thing that just DNA just seeped into wherever we are in the world. Like we that just kept, you know, the connection with the continent strong. That's really beautiful. Yeah. So speaking of, you know, connections and language, when we were talking before the interview, you mentioned that growing up, you really struggled connecting with your grandparents back in Zambia because they spoke Bimba, your mother's family, mother tongue. Um, But in Botswana, because you lived in Botswana, they don't speak Bimba, so you didn't really get to cultivate that. And and I love that you talk about the fact that you have at least three different languages together on that one song. How do you think language shapes and affects our relationships? Oh, man. There's so much information, so much emotion, codes of DNA that go into language that I just can't express how different it is to hear music in English versus music in your ancestral tongue. There's so much you miss out on. And I think it's sort of a blessing and a curse to be able to be in this middle ground, especially as a rapper where you see sort of the impact your verses have and your flow have when you're rapping in English and when you're rapping in Bemba. Um, and for us as an oral people, it's so important for us to be able to pass information and feel through the sounds that are happening in you know, our phonetics. It goes back to just the drums and how we were able to talk to each other through sound. And as well, like English is in our language. It's a colonized language and it itself has all its sort of bastardizations as well. And I know as Africans, wherever we are on the continent, we make English our own. We put in our own little flavor in it. And I know my my brothers and sister in, um, in America also do their little thing to Ebonics, yes. you know? It can't <laughs> just be, Mm-mm. we need to add our own little flavor to it. And also in that realm, I know that the tone that happens when you're speaking Ebonics versus when you're speaking English, that's also different as well. It, and those it are is. The, yeah, exactly. Those Here, uh, an Americanized version of that is like how the word girl can communicate. Yeah. How you say it, like girl. In different way. I girl. think I saw, I, I saw an SNL skit. Girl, with, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, saw, um, I saw an SNL skit with Megan Thee Stallion, and that was the, the girl skit. And I was just it's, like, that is actually really perfect. So we've been talking, you mentioned very briefly about Zamrock and how you're a big fan of it. Now, Zamrock is a very special Zambian design, Zambian grown genre of music, and it became popular in the 70s. Yes. And it's this combination of traditional Zambian music with psychedelic rock. Yeah. 
what are those traditional elements that differentiate Zemrock from that psychedelic rock that was popular right. back in the day? Um, man, so in Zambia, we have this music that's called Kalindula music. And it's sort of, I guess we could say Zambia's folk music. So a lot of our storytelling happens through Kalindula music. A lot of um, sort of the traditional sound of the guitar uh, happens in Kalindula music. And so I guess the kids from the 70s heard psychedelic rock and were like, this is insane. We love it. But we're also going to infuse it with the style of where we're from and just spark something different, which I think is really inspiring, especially for a conservative country like Zambia to have psychedelic rock beat. Your inspiration to me is wild. And so they infused these two um, sort of genres and still kept, you know, the the art of storytelling as a center for it. I, I imagine rock also is rhythm and blues and blues is also sort of that folk storytelling thing. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, you have folk from these different continents and sort of the feel um, of these distant relatives that is coming through this music, which is really beautiful. Um, and so, yeah, you have these young kids who are inspired by this music, they fuse it together, and it sort of became a huge phenomenon in our country and became our national music. Like Zamrock was the Zambian sound. Um, and then, unfortunately, we had this huge um, AIDS ep epidemic that sort of killed a lot of our legends. And mm. so Zamrock started to sort of die down. And we mm. saw other music take center stage on the continent. So you had your Afro beats at that time, which was huge. You had your Congolese sort of rumba music that was huge. And we sort of adopted that music, which was really beautiful. But we sort of lost the essence of our own folk telling music, our own folk story music. And as I, you know, deep dived into Zamrock, I reimagined a Zambia where we still had our own music, you know, we had our yeah. own musical identity, just the way Af Afrobeat is influenced by West Africa and the stories that surround West Africa and the storytelling that surround West Africa. I thought Zamro was that for us and, and what would it take to go back to that? And I sort of saw the similarities again with Zamro being known outside of Zambia, like much like myself and my career, and then I stumbled on some huge information um, this year, which was my uncle was part of one of the huge Zamrock bands called The Witch. And he was part of the founding members of that band. Nice. Which was like information that was wild to me and information that I needed when I started my career because it was like so lonely doing it alone. And my dad nonchalantly says, your uncle was part of that. Your uncle was part of that Just era. Just, just out the blue. Oh my goodness. So who are some of your favorite Zamrock artists? Okay, um, I'm gonna be biased with the first choice. <laughs> it's The Witch, just cause my uncle was part of the founding members of The Witch. And then also Paul Ngozi, who's really huge. Um, and again, one of the leaders of Zamrock was huge to me as well. So I'd say those two. One of your other big yeah. musical idols is Angela Kicho. Tell me about her and why is she one of your favorite artists? Um, Angelique Kijo, how do you express how important she is? Angelique was like, not to compare, like our Madonna, you know? She came into 
sort of the music sphere brought being African and showing our culture to the world, um, to the conversation and made it cool. Not only that, but showing our spiritual uh, our spiritual side as well, which was often and is often demonized. And sort of to me, one of the founding members of Afrofuturism before Afrofuturism was, you know, a thing visually and artistically. To me, I saw Angelique Kijo do that. Nice. And, you know, as a young African woman, you're like, oh, cool, we can do that. We can show that part of ourselves and that be cool. And that was what Angelique Kijo was to us, a huge inspiration and still is a huge inspiration. Where did she hail from? Uh, she's from Benin. Benin, so okay. So she, yeah, she is from Benin. Um, and yeah, she just infuses her culture, the spiritualism of where she's from and her language into her music, which I think is really amazing. So I really love this song and she's featured on your song, yes. Let Me Be Great. It is a, first of all, it's a dynamic song and the video is just visually just jaw dropping. So oh, we're going to play you. a little bit of that. These journey are the shines. Many men let to their own devices. Tell the story, living at the crisis. Sebi, sebi. Uh, quite shocked to be divorced. The hunter should be looking at my bosh. I'm lying, I'm king. Man, I'm bosh. I'm feeling it. But the course of what is the course that I'm healing, I'm dealing with my hero so on my floors when i was younger you was on my balls now it's replaces so what was it like to collaborate with her on oh the my great? gosh i'm still shocked because i'd say that's the only feature in the album that was super unexpected but fit in as if it was planned mm. like um so we were in the middle of making our album and we had just done our npr tiny desk uh, in Zambia, the home version, because uh, we were in lockdown at the time. And I remember that being released and we sort of did it and wanted to infuse our whole culture in it. We were wearing our Zambian attire. We were like, yeah, this is really, we really got to show them. Uh, and we were just really proud of it. And I remember getting a DM from Angelique Kijo and I remember seeing that on my phone and just like, screaming, wilding out, showing my cousin and my sisters that Angelique is DMing me, do you understand? Because again, like, Legends DM, I don't know. Like, I never, I'd never had this encounter before, so it was so wild. I just remember opening the DM and she was like, the NPR performance was so beautiful. I'm working on my album. Don't tell anyone, do you want to be a part of it? And just still being in shock that like Angelique Kijo is DMing me. You're like, yes, auntie. Me- the yeah, anything, anything you want, <laughs> I'm going to do it, anything. And that was just, I don't know. It was just really insane. And I remember doing the verse for her song uh, and just knowing that we had just worked on a song called Let Me Be Great and her vocals would be exquisite on the song. Angelique has these vocals that we call ancestral vocals. I think these are like the way we sung before we were influenced by classical music or any other sort of way of singing because this has like spiritualism inside. I think mm. that her voice is just, it carries so much history and so much it just sounds spiritually connected to our ancestral music. 
So nice. to even just have her there is just a huge honor. And I remember, you know, sending her back the song that um, we did on her album and just like sneaking, let me be great in the email as well. And being like, here's the song for your album. Here's my verse, but I'm also working on my album. And just <laughs> like trying try to do two things at, at one go. And luckily enough, you know, she was gracious enough to be like, I love this song. I want to be a part of it. What is it about? Mm. And me just expressing to her, you know, as a young upcoming artist, you face so many doubts, so many fears. You don't know whether you want to do this path anymore. You're influenced by these huge legends. Um, some of them you meet and they don't quite live up to your expectations of them. And then you realize that they were supposed to be examples that you could do it. Mm. You know, they were supposed to be reflections and representations of, of someone who looks like you doing what you've dreamt of doing. But you were not supposed to be a copycat of them. You were right. not supposed to be the second version of them. You were supposed to take that inspiration and sort of manifest who you want to be through that inspiration. And yeah. I think that's the beautiful thing about being able to interact with your legends and people who created these paths for, for you so that they're able to sort of pass the baton and give you these stories and show you how you can pay it forward. And it'd be this healthy conversation between different generations on, on, on you know, what they went through to be able to give you this path that you have now. Nice. And she just seemed like the perfect person and it just felt like perfect timing to have her on that song, especially for what it meant. And I was just so happy and lucky that she was down to do it. But not only was she down to sing lyrics that were already written. I mean, she's Angelique Kijo, she can write whatever she wants. She was like, I'll sing this chorus you guys wrote, but also add her language um, to the outro of the song and just nice. that more passion and more spirit involved in this song and this message and we couldn't have jumped off a better track now being a touring artist is a pretty stressful job i can imagine but when you're taking time off from touring and making music you like to hang out at your family's farm in zambia yeah. tell me about that what's the farm like um so the farm is immensely quiet there's nothing that goes on around there really all you can hear are the birds you know the wind the people who are in the background tilling the land um and you can actually be present with life mm. i feel like when you're touring you're going from one place to another you're changing time zones uh you're talking to all these people you're exchanging so much energy you're in rooms and you know that are not your own space and you really going through these different spaces at a huge speed and you don't actually have time to yourself. On top of that, you're not getting any rest. Um, and it can be a huge punch on your mental health on top yeah. of being an artist who expresses music differently to, I guess what mainstream or commercial artists, you know, express and you're doing that every night. You're connecting with people who've been inspired by the music and, you know, you're exchanging stories, you're exchanging traumas, and that just can be a lot to bear for a huge amount of time. And I was finding that, you know, every time we were off tour, we'd get like two two weeks off, and then we were back to the same sort of yeah. strenuous, you know, cycle. And it just isn't, one, a normal way for humans to live and interact with each other, 
but also as the artist, you find that you don't have time to fill in your cup again. You don't have mm. time to recoup. You don't have time to sort of replace the energy that has been exchanged or exerted. And a lot of, of, of what I express through my music has a lot to do with grounding yourself. Um, as a person who started off with major anxiety, I started meditating really early in my career. I knew what I wanted to do, but it was so huge and so grand of a dream that it scared me to even want to, you know, pursue the dream. And a friend of mine sort of um, explained anxiety as you being in the future while your body is in the present. And yeah. you sort of create this rift, you know, in your chest of trying to be in these two places. And I really had to practice being present and just growing my confidence for knowing what I wanted to be as an artist. And that has sort of stuck with me throughout my career. So when you're adding touring to, um, you know, that equation in order to exert all of this um, energy to exude the confidence that we do on stage and share these stories, there also has to be time to self to reflect and to grow. And I usually do that by connecting to nature and being sort of away from everything else yeah you know grounding myself in the actual ground in the actual grass you know being able to reconnect and hear my own breath and hear my heartbeat and just be in a place of solitude and stillness which is what nature gives me it reminds me that i'm alive more than any stage could you know um and i feel like that's one of the beauties in nature that we've lost with technology buildings and everything else that is like in the middle of it so when i finally have some time to myself my remedy my medication is to be able to go back home and connect with the land and actually be involved with sitting in nature and bringing yes. myself back um to, to 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 ground zero and so that's sort of how i deal with everything Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Chanel, this has been really beautiful. Thank you for taking me down memory lane. That was explorer Danielle Lee in conversation with musician Sampa the Great. If you like what you hear and you want to support more content like this, please rate and review us in your podcast app and consider a National Geographic subscription. That's the best way to support Overheard. Go to natgeo.com slash explore more to subscribe. Learn more about Sampa the Great at her website, sampathegreat.com. That's spelled S-A-M-P-A-T-H-E-G-R-E-A-T. And follow her on Twitter or Instagram at sampa underscore the underscore great. Learn more about Danielle Lee at her website, about.me slash dnlee. And listen to a full interview with Danielle in the Overheard episode, The Wonders of Urban Wildlife. You can also follow her on Twitter or Instagram at dnlee5. That's all in your show notes right there in your podcast app. This week's Overheard episode is produced by me, Kyrie Douglas. Our senior producers are Brian Gutierrez and Jacob Pinter. Our senior editor is Eli Chin. Our manager of audio is Carla Wills, who edited this episode. Our executive producer of audio is Devar Adelon. Our photo editor is Julie Howe. Ted Wood sound designed this episode, and Hans Dale Sue composed her theme music. The Soul of Music series is produced in collaboration with National Geographic Music. Special thanks to Hannah Grace Van Cleave, Jennifer Stilson, and Brittany Greer. 
This podcast is a production of National Geographic Partners. The National Geographic Society, committed to illuminating and protecting the wonder of our world, funds the work of National Geographic explorer Danielle Lee. Michael Tribble is the Vice President of Integrated Storytelling. Nathan Lump is National Geographic's Editor-in-Chief. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.